Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Today Entitled Town Packers podcast. My name is Griffin. You can follow me on Instagram at All Day Packers, and I'm joined by my good friend Braun, who you can follow on Instagram at Lambo.Leapers. And we're coming back to you with another podcast. Today, we will be doing something very similar to what we did on the last episode, where we went through every single player on the offense. This week, we're going to be doing the same thing, but for the defense, going over all the free agents, going over all the young guys, reviewing how they played in 2022, talking about what we think their future is in Green Bay. So excited for that it's going to be a fun show Braun how are you Griff I'm good this is something that a lot of fans are anticipating because there's a little bit more uncertainty in some of these spots with the defense guys like Amos who's been a consistent starter for us in the Matt LaFleur era and others that are going to be you know their futures are certainly uncertain who could be traded who could be cut who could be extended uh, these things we're going to discuss here and it's a lot of fun in these horrible horrible times we're in <laughs> Horrible times we're in. It's Super Bowl. We're ramping up to Super Bowl week. It's not quite Super Bowl week, but it's going to be Chiefs, Eagles, of course. I'm excited for the game. Braun, we talked about this. You are not very excited. Um, How could I don't you know. be? I, I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty excited. I think I'm, I'm just more over the loss than you are at this point. Are you over the loss yet? I am not over the loss, but it's more than just the loss. I mean, it's the loss is, Griff. We've been doing this for years now, and I just want to win so bad that I'm willing to do whatever it takes. And there's nothing we can do sitting on the couch. So the one point on Championship Sunday um, during the the Bengals Chiefs game, which was a great game, I enjoyed it more than you did, Bron. As an impartial viewer of the game, I enjoyed it. But the one part where I kind of felt like FOMO, you know, like ah, oh, just bitterness, was when MVS is on the field celebrating going to the Super Bowl. I can't believe I'm going to the Super Bowl. I was like, oh my god, dude. He leaves literally the first year he's gone. And he's going to the Super Bowl. It's so funny how we lost Devontae Adams. And people forget we lost Devontae and MVS in the same offseason. And the Chiefs lost Tyreek Hill. And to compare a little bit, when the Chiefs lost Tyreek Hill, they went out and not only did they already have Travis Kelsey. People act like the Chiefs lost their only target and they had to whatever, right? But they had the best tight end in football already. So people forget about that, right? But let's let's look at what they did. They drafted a receiver in the second round, which Green Bay also did, right? Then they signed MVS. They signed Juju Smith-Schuster, who was one of the best receivers on the market at the time. They traded a third and sixth round pick for Kadarius Toney. And they still have Nicole Hardman. That is a good, really good receiving core. And people act like they won without Tyreek Hill. And like Aaron Rodgers missed the playoffs without Devontae. Well, the Chiefs got one of Green Bay's other really good receivers. They got Green Bay's number two. Green Bay lost their number one and number two, right? And then the Chiefs went up and picked up Green Bay's number two. Plus, they drafted a guy in the second round, which was the most Green Bay did. And that was like the least they did when they drafted Sky Moore. That was Green Bay's biggest move. And then, and then Green Bay got Sammy During Watkins. the season, they still said this isn't enough, and they traded exactly. for uh, you know, an athletic freak like Kadarius Toney. And they gave up assets to do so, Griff. And, and you compare like, this to our... Our philosophy in Green Bay, which it's so stupid. It's just what a stupid offseason it was last year. And it makes me think that they were just ready for this to be a, you know, a building block year. I don't think they were going all in in 2022 necessarily because. And you mentioned that. I will say, Griff, you mentioned that at the beginning of last year. That was something you said. I was saying I was, that last summer. Because I, didn't, I, just I didn't agree. I could not believe the, the plan on, on no, offense last I, year. Griff. And it's in 2019, 2020, and 2021, we had Devontae Adams and two guys in the receiving room. Last offseason, 
We lost Devontae Adams and one of those guys, leaving us with one guy to be relied on as heavily as he was in 2022, which is Alan Lazard. And then we draft Christian Watson, which this is why I think that Aaron has to be coming back. First of all, we don't think he's going to retire. And second of all, I think he does plan on coming back to Green Bay. And I think the organization has planned on him coming back in 2023 because Rodgers knew that we were going to trade Devontae Adams last offseason. Why would he come back? last year if he knew that that was going to be the roster that we had and after the season he's saying that you know they asked him like okay you're still playing well why did this team only win eight games and he basically said without saying this team just isn't talented enough you you remember Braun at his press conferences he was basically tiptoeing around saying that this team is just not talented enough on offense so he knew what the offense was going to look like this year why would he have come back just for one year he wants to be back in Green Bay, and the organization, I think, Bron, I know you have some theories, so, you know, we're going to get into the defense here, don't worry, but we do have to spend a, just a little bit of time on Aaron Rodgers because, I mean, it's January, this is a yearly thing now, we have to talk about Aaron Rodgers' uh, future every single January at length, so, Bron, what is, where do you currently stand on the Rodgers saga? Well, Griff, obviously, we, we just talked about, and with the way the Chiefs are sitting here in the Super Bowl and, and people talk about the the lack of weapons that the Chiefs have, well, they actually have about five guys better than our number one guy, Alan Lazard, going into this season. And then we, we went in it. We got Sammy Watkins as our big move. And look, we went <laughs> in. It's almost – that, that was our big move. And then he wasn't there for the stretch run when we started winning games. So, I mean, again, we talk about this every week. But you, you made a good point about – the fact that were they really trying to win? It's just hard to picture that they were really trying to go all in on this year, this past season, when they didn't do anything to improve their offense after losing their top two receivers. It's just so stupid. Like, there's no other word for it, right? But how? So, right, then how could they convince Rodgers to come back last year if they weren't trying to do something bigger this year? Because that w- what's the point of keeping Aaron if you're going to do what you did this past year? And that was a silly, silly error on the Green Bay Packers' part. Brian Gutekunst, another really great move to do everything he did and put us in this position where the roster was so untalented that Aaron had to play literally MVP football without any talented players to throw to for the majority of the season, which was an impossible task. He had to try to play MVP football is what you're saying. Right, and I just said impossible task. And to make Aaron do something like that was just absurd. So I hate the argument— People will always say, you know, especially this offseason, everyone's saying, you know, Rodgers is still good, yes, but we are paying him to carry our offense, and he showed last year that he can't carry the offense. First of all, he has a $31 million cap hit this year, which is 10th in the league among quarterbacks. And second of all, you you cannot just pay him $30 million to make your offense good with nothing else. You can't give him, you know, tin cans. Like, Patrick Mahomes, the Chiefs are paying Mahomes a lot of money. They are paying him to carry the offense. The Bills are paying Josh Allen. The Bengals are going to extend Joe Burrow this offseason to elevate their offense to a higher level, right? Because you need the quarterback. We did the same thing with Rodgers, except all those other teams, they don't have the attitude of, all right, we paid Mahomes. Now we should be able to ignore the offense completely 
because we just paid Mahomes. You know, he's this is the this is the value of a quarterback. This is why they're so um, valuable in this league is because they should be able to carry your offense. They don't have that attitude. I don't know why so many fans in Green Bay expect Aaron Rodgers to just carry this entire offense when he has no one to throw to except rookies last year who he was not on the same page with, and Alan Lazard and Sammy Watkins. Griff, let's talk about this a little bit real quick before we get into the defense. I do want to point out one, a few theories I have on the whole situation, and fans can hear this and, and share their thoughts, but I think based on, you know, they're not as open this year. You're not, they're not openly saying we want Aaron back. Gutekunst hasn't come out and said he's our quarterback, right? He hasn't said things like that, and I'll tell you why I think at least, Griff. I think if the Packers let Aaron know that they desperately want him back, then that's when he starts making those requests that caused what what would happen with when we brought Randall Cobb back and again I I don't think they're wide openly saying they want him back because I don't think Gutekunst wants to go out and bring Jordy Nelson out of retirement right like I, he they brought back Tom <laughs> Clements last year Tom Clements was the quarterback coach last year one of his favorite coaches of all time they brought him back almost as a way to kind of lower him back and these yeah, are the things decision that decision was that these are the things that they've had to do that they probably don't want to do I don't think Gutekunst wants to go back and re-sign Lazard for 10 million dollars a year and things like that. I just don't think there's some moves that they're going to not want to make. They're going to want to bring a guy like Mercedes back, and they probably wouldn't have a problem bringing back Cobb back on a minimum deal. But there are things that they don't want to have to do. If they openly go out and say they want Rodgers back, that's when he's going to start making these requests, which he has every right to do, by the way. But I don't think the Packers want to fulfill some of these things that he they feel like probably won't help the team much. And I, and I, I can agree with that. So when people talk about how the tone has changed, I think this is probably the reason why. And this is a little bit of a deeper theory on my end, but I think them giving the impression that they could move on to love, I think it gives Rodgers less leverage to ask for these things because if he says, I want this or I'm not coming back, the Packers can then just call his bluff basically. And then they'll know he wants to stay because I think they do know that. I think they know, and he said it, he wants to stay. He wants to retire Green Bay Packer. I think Brian knows that. And I also think that he thinks and knows that they can still win a Super Bowl this year with Aaron. I think that's part of the equation as well. So to me, those are the so those are theory, some of the key details. Your theory is that if Aaron Rodgers were to say, you know, for example, I want Alan Lazard back or I'm not coming back to Green Bay. If Goody at his press conference had been like, of course we want Aaron back. If Aaron wants to play next year, he's going to be our quarterback. If Goody had said that, then Rodgers has the leverage in that scenario because he can say, well, you want me back so bad, I'm not going to come back unless you re-sign Alan Lazard or Mercedes Lewis or whoever. But since Gutekunst has had the attitude of, you know, we'll see, you know, we're, we're these are all hypotheticals, we're going to get into everything as the months go by, because Goody has not been as adamant this offseason that he wants Rodgers to be the quarterback next year, now Rodgers doesn't have as much leverage. And like you said, if he says, I'm not coming back unless you bring Lazard back, now Goody's in a spot where you can say, okay, we're ready anyways to move on from love, you know, we're already thinking about that. So that is and a then, deeper level right. theory on your end, Bron, but... Um, um, this channel, this podcast is known for having some deeper level theories. We, every week we bring up this YouTube video from two years ago, but it did age very well. And it's like we, we're doing this every single offseason now, so we can't not bring it up because it's really, it's a different situation now than it was back then, but it's really, it's very similar. It's all a leverage game, I think, by both sides here. Yeah, Griff, I think it's a leverage battle. And I think 
they have learned from their mistakes because this is what three times in a row now where we're going I don't know three four whatever where they're going through this situation where Aaron is in like a I'm not sure if I'm gonna play whatever um, and then he talks about playing other places things like that I think they're starting to learn from their mistakes and they're realizing what has happened when they get in these situations now Green Bay wants some leverage to not have to do the things that and they don't want to put themselves in a position where they have and to I go out and I cannot blame moves. Brian Gutekunst. I cannot no, blame No, this is good from the or, I from think the organization is, standpoint. They don't want to resign Alan Lazard. They do not no. want to give Alan Lazard any more money than they already no. have, you know. Like why <laughs> no, would exactly. you? So this is right, why Aaron is the talent evaluator. I don't I don't know how much I trust him, you know, but he, he wants Alan Lazard back so bad uh, apparently. I don't know why, but I get it from Goody's perspective and I'm not saying that he's doing anything wrong here. I don't think you are saying that either, Braun. No, no. I, I think that the way Gutekunst is handling this is probably a little better from an organizational standpoint. To me, as a fan, right, any fan who wants Aaron back wants Gutekunst to go up and say, yes, Aaron is our quarterback. But from an organizational standpoint, this is one thing by Gutekunst that I think is probably for the betterment of the team, only if this is how he's truly operating. If, he, if they, tru- they need to want him back, that's the whole point of this. If they don't truly want him back, then this is all nothing. But I think this theory where they do want him back because they know they can still win a Super Bowl with him. I think they tr- I know Gutekunst believes that. I know that. Because he believed it. He believed that they could come back and do it when they were sitting here at 4 and 8. He thought that there was a chance that they could get back into the playoffs and make something happen and because they know Aaron Rodgers is the quarterback, that's the reason they can do it. With Love, he knows that's not a possibility. So I think that's certainly part of it too. And to me, I, I look at the situation and that makes a lot of sense in my head. I Griff, I know you think that as well and and maybe this is a little bit of an eye opener for our listeners here, but to me that this was something when I thought about it and really nobody digs into this deeper than us, I feel like Griffin and getting to this point is something I feel like pretty strongly if they want Rogers back, which I really think they do, then this this is probably a reality for me. I don't think anyone has spent as many hours on FaceTime digging into the complexities of this situation. I don't think anyone spent more hours than we have, Ron. Um, Rogers was on Pat McAfee's show yesterday, and he said he's just always on that show, isn't he? He's just every week, every Tuesday, it's now a new cycle of reports and Twitter conversations, and I'm so sick of it, really, because every week it's something new, and Rogers is saying something new that's getting everyone talking and speculating, including us, and I'm exhausted, quite frankly. Yeah, Griff. I mean, look, every week it's it's always a new little, every word gets dissected with every little detail, but we are going to do that right here. And as exhausted as I am of doing it, we have a duty, Griff, I think, to the people to let them know every little detail. And to me, one thing that stood out to me was when he was talking about Rich Bisaccia praising him. He talked about, and it felt so direct in the most indirect way, if that makes any sense, but he kept talking about being a player's coach which everybody talks about Matt LaFleur as a player's coach, right? But he talked about how you need to value, as a player's coach, respect over being liked. And it just felt like he was talking about Matt LaFleur. It really did. And I know we've had these conversations, Griff, about how he's scared to make different decisions. And those are the same things Rodgers was saying, but they just felt so reminiscent of our conversations on this show about Matt LaFleur. And everything he was saying, even though it wasn't related to Matt directly— it felt like that conversation that we've had multiple times on this show about Matt LaFleur and and what our criticisms of him are. So to me, it felt almost indirectly personal to Matt and, and what that relationship with him and the players is like. And it resonated with me because that's what we've been saying for so long. 
So that's a, and I want to get into the power structure a little bit, Griff, of of this team, and even just looking across other teams. Look at the Chiefs and the and the Forty ers for example. Those two teams are one of the they're they're two of the most successful teams in the NFL. The Forty ers they have these season-ending press conferences, and what do you see? It's John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan, and it's always Brett Veach and Andy Reid, and it's just a united front. But when it's when when we look at Green Bay. It's Brian Gutekunst comes out once in a blue moon, and then Matt does his thing. And it never feels like they're on the same page, because Matt LaFleur will come out at his press conference when asked about if they want Aaron Rodgers back and say, yes, yes, I want Aaron back, absolutely. He's the greatest to ever do it. And then Brian Gutekunst comes out and is asked the same question and says, you know, he waffles around it. He says, we made a commitment to him, but he's not, you know, these are hypotheticals. He's not, right? So there's just a lack of communication. And I look at this whole thing from the standpoint of what is the power structure really? And then you talk about Mark Murphy. Mark Murphy has talked about how he wants to win a Super Bowl. He wants to win Super Bowls in these final years of his tenure, which he's got two years left now, and he wants to win multiple Super Bowls, he said. So is Matt, is Mark Murphy pushing to move on from Aaron Rodgers? Because if that happens, they're probably extremely unlikely it would be for them to win a Super Bowl in these next two years of his tenure, right? And Mark wants another Super Bowl. These are the things I think about, right? So what is the relationship here? How much of a disconnect truly is there? Because it feels like there's a big one. And I just sense that between especially Matt and Brian and I, I feel like Matt's not as big of a part as some of these decisions that affect his job as he probably should be, or like guys like Kyle Shanahan and, and Andy Reid are, although maybe he hasn't earned that the same way maybe they have in some eyes. I still think that Matt has been very public for his desire for Rodgers to return over the course of his whole tenure in Green Bay, and I think if Rodgers is somehow traded, if it does come to that in some capacity, which we don't think, but if that does happen, I don't think that's a decision Matt LaFleur will have had very much say in, if any at all. No, that's something that we, we've talked about before, you know, how much say does Matt LaFleur really have? Would Matt LaFleur have gone into all these seasons with Devontae Adams and really nobody else? And in this year, two rookies and really nobody else, you know? That doesn't feel like something that Matt LaFleur would sign off on. And we've talked about his uh, support for guys like Will Fuller in years past, you know? He has a history with Will Fuller, and we're always interested in Will Fuller, it feels like, but we never pull that trigger. It feels like that's the thing that in San Francisco, if Kyle Shanahan really likes a guy like that, he probably has a little bit more say, I think, and they're able to get something like that done, you know. But I don't think the power structure is very weird in Green Bay. It's very unique with Gutekunst, Mark Murphy, and Matt LaFleur, and Aaron Rodgers, I guess. <laughs> but, yeah, you um, have to include Aaron in that because he controls the entire group of 69 men He traded men in for Randall Cobb. Room. Yeah, he traded for Randall Rogers Cobb. He made brought the back be- Tom Clements. You think it was a dream of Matt LaFleur's to he always wanted to work with Tom Clements? No, but I certainly think that Rodgers probably made our best receiver move in the last couple of years by trading for Randall Cobb. He made, so. yeah. I mean, before this last year's draft, that was literally the only move we've made at receiver in <laughs> like five years. So You're forgetting Sammy for Watkins, Griff. I, God, Sammy Watkins. We do have to get into the defense at some point. That's what the main portion of this show is going to be. It's going to be the same thing as last week, like I said. But this week, we're going to be talking about the defense. And before we get into player by player, 
I do want to talk about the, the the unit as a whole in 2022. You know, our expectations were so high for all these guys. We were so excited. We thought this was going to be one of the best defenses in the league. They weren't one of the worst defenses in the league, but they were way worse than anyone thought they would be. And this isn't just Packers fans. You know, this was NFL media... NFL media people thought this was going to be the best defense that Aaron Rodgers has ever had. You know, we saw those quotes floating around over the summer and they were just massively disappointing. And to me, I think that does start at the top of the coaching ladder on defense with Joe Barry and also, you know, in part Matt LaFleur for deciding to keep Joe Barry. And this is, I said this to you the other day, Bron, I do want to mention this because a lot of people are talking about how yeah, Joe Barry, you know, he's not really exciting any of us, but it's important to keep the continuity going on the defense. You don't want these guys to learn a new defense every year. Well, my what I say to that is the average career the average tenure of a defensive coordinator in this league is like three years, two and a half years, you know, it's like between two and three years. Because if they do a bad job, you're out the door. If you do a good job as a coordinator, you're probably getting a head coaching opportunity or a head coaching job within the next two years, you know? And so to me, it's the same thing as imagine this defense had been great this season, best in the league, you know, 2015 Denver Broncos defense. Joe Barry, there's a chance he'd be out the door for a head coaching opportunity, and then we'd have to be starting fresh anyways. There is no continuity at the coordinator level. On every single NFL team, coordinators are being cycled in and out every two, three seasons, offense and defense. Like, you... As an NFL player, you cannot get too comfortable, especially on defense, with a playbook. You're going to be learning new playbooks, new schemes, new terminology. It's life as an NFL player. You go to a new team. A lot, most of these guys are going to be on three different teams before their career ends. They're going to learn new playbooks, you know? So I, the continuity thing, like, yes, I think there is some value, sure. But I don't think it's worth keeping a guy like Joe Barry, who inspires nobody. I don't know how he inspires Matt LaFleur. I don't know what they talk about privately. But I, I th- what is what do you really like about Joe Barry as a coordinator? I don't know. I don't think it's worth keeping him for continuity's sake. What a disappointment, right, Griff? I mean, looking at the way the season unfolded, and I'm sure everybody, including Brian and, and even Aaron, were expecting this defense to kind of put this team in a position where they didn't have to be elite on offense or there was room for some grace period, growing pains, things like that. But it just never materialized, and the Packers couldn't afford to have that kind of grace period for these young receivers and lack of talent at receiver and poor additions at receiver and just a f- terrible job at the receiver position. But they did have a lot of talent on defense, and it just didn't show itself. And to me, when you talk about continuity, you want positive continuity, not negative continuity, because you're looking at— There was why, certainly why try continuity to continue? this year. With yeah, the stubbornness certainly. and refusal to do things, you know, we continued to suck. Defense. There was, That's con- what we there was continuity, definitely. Yeah. So I mean, they what they started to come on at the end, but again, too little, too late. This was way too late for this oh, kind of talent to be coming this together. Is, I, I see lots of people talk about the final six games too, and I I don't know how when to they started doing everything it. that Joe Barry has not put into his scheme for his entire career. When they started doing and things when they that started they didn't bring Joe doing Barry things. They started doing things that have nothing to do with the coordinator, too, like forcing fumbles and getting interceptions, turnovers. Their turnover luck, they just they rode the right side of variance at the end of the season. That's how I see it, because at the beginning of the season, we were getting no turnovers whatsoever, no interceptions. Our only interception was that fourth-quarter pick by Jair in the Bears game, Week 2. 
You know, that was our only interception up until what, week four? Did we get a pick week four? I don't even think so. It was our only, only interception for a while, a garbage time pick. I remember talking about this. You know, the turnovers were dry, and then at the end of the season, they picked up just because it's the nature of football. It's, things are random in this league, and I don't think that you should be looking at these turnovers that made the defense look good and then be like, oh yeah, Joe Barry, you know what? We can ride this momentum into next year because that our last play of the season, you know, that mattered was a defensive, uh, a complete defensive breakdown on that fourth down against the Lions, and that is the perfect play, I think, we watched that play on film together, Braun. We watched the all-22 of that film. Of that play, I mean. And that play is just the perfect Joe Barry play, I think. You're rushing six guys. One guy's uncovered. Everyone's 10 yards off the ball. You're making it so easy for the offense. You have and no guys identity. guys are pointing at each other. It's the whole thing, Griff. It's just a complete mess. And you've got Jerry Gray now, who his contract expires in Green Bay. He's the defensive backs coach. And he goes to Atlanta just on his own will. You know, he wants to get out of Green Bay, apparently. Because he had mentioned at a press conference this season... They were asking him about the corners lining up so far off the ball. And what did he say? He was like, that's something that you got to ask Joe Barry. You know, that's Joe Barry's scheme. He was really trying to distance himself from the fact that Joe Barry makes these kinds of decisions. And then the Packers let him go in favor of Joe Barry. And and to keep, obviously, the the decision was made to keep Joe, but... Jerry Gray, they to to not extend him. I'm sure that was mostly his decision, because he wants to get an opportunity to make a difference. And clearly, when he finally started getting a say in some of these things, like when Jair was getting closer to the line of scrimmage on these guys, that's that's a Jerry Gray special right there. That that's that's what he was, that's what he was brought in when he was here with Mike Pettin. Even that was the reality of what he brought to the table, and he's been great everywhere he's gone. So to me. Even in Minnesota, of course, right when they had Xavier Rhodes and, and other guys, like that whole secondary has always been very good. So when when he and came here, his players here, love him. Also, his, his players love him. The amount of something we always talk about got. lacking with Joe Barry, you know, the love from the players. Jerry Gray yeah. has that. Nobody would be tweeting about Joe Barry leaving, but Rasul <laughs> Douglas <laughs> and Jair. That's All the these guys Nathaniel love Hackett Jerry leaves Gray. last year, and how many guys are tweeting like love letters for Nathaniel Hackett? How great of a person he is! If Joe Barry got fired or went to a different team, or God forbid, got a head coaching promotion, how many of these defensive players are even tweeting out eyeballs? I don't think any of them are. No, and that, that's the reality. It's just, I think there's a problem there, but and it's going to leak into next season because if this team struggles out of the gate on that side of the ball, and I've said this before, they can't afford to start over in the middle of the season because nobody's going to be available to hire and they're just going to have to ride it out with Joe. That's the reality. They better hope he comes out (laughs) swinging. They better hope they have a good defense to start the year because they can't afford to start out poor. It will just look ridiculous. This is what I'm talking about when guys get fired, Griff. Matt LaFleur will get fired after this season if the defense struggles, and that's a reality. And that's that. This is all if Aaron's not here, because Aaron will cover up all these issues. They'll they'll make the playoffs if Aaron's here next year, right? Like these are the things that are, you know, they're gonna win more games. He's not gonna be hurt. Like if Aaron is here, which is the anticipated thing, they will be in the playoffs and and they'll be making a difference again. But with Aaron gone potentially. You're going to see Matt LaFleur be on the hot seat quick. Joe Barry, obviously, and Brian Gutekunst, all of these guys will be on the hot seat, and they're going to be questioned because if they don't play well without Aaron Rodgers, everybody's job is on the line because he's not there to cover up all the mistakes anymore. 
And when you're looking at this defense, they have to come out hot because if they don't start playing well right away, everybody's going to be clamoring and Matt LaFleur is going to be at the head of this thing because nobody's going to be blaming Joe Barry anymore. He's here. It's Matt now because Matt was the one who decided to keep him. So they better hope this defense starts to play well. And with that, Griff, let's get into it. And I guess we could start with the defensive line. The defensive line. So let's start with free agent. Well, first of all, what we're doing here. So we're going to go through. If you didn't listen to last week's show, you should probably go listen to that because I thought it was a good show. We talked a lot about Aaron Rodgers, but also we went through every single offensive player and you know discussed their future on the team, discussed whether we would cut them. We think they're worthy of an extension. You know, maybe trade bait, or if they're a free agent, whether we would resign or let them walk. So we're going to be doing the same thing on the defensive side here, starting with the defensive line, starting with Dean Lowry, everyone's favorite Packer. Do you think anyone has a Dean Lowry jersey? He's been playing here a long time, but his I mom can't doesn't say even seen... have a Dean Lowry jersey, Griff. <laughs> oh man. Um I can't, you know, he's just the most he's just the most NPC football player ever, I feel like Dean Lowry, he's just always around. He's been on this team for forever. And uh, he's a free agent this year. So is he a guy that you want to see back in Green Bay, Braun? They need so much better. They have Devontae Wyatt, who when Dean Lowry... I, I'm not going to bang on Dean Lowry too much, but when Dean finally went... I said finally went down. <laughs> <laughs> finally, this guy got hurt. When Dean went down and Devontae Wyatt got to play a little bit more, we saw the production that he had in that same spot and how he flashed in that spot. And I I was impressed by Devontae. But Dean, I feel like his time is just up in Green Bay. They don't need him anymore. They need to get better at that spot. He's nice to be average, but I want above average. I need better there, honestly. I think fans would agree. Dean has done good things for us. He batted down a lot of passes this year. He had a good year last year. I just don't think they should pay him a third contract, Griff. He was our, what, our fourth best, maybe fifth best offensive or defensive lineman this year, depending on how you, you probably feel could about have played O line too. I mean, our O line was terrible. We talked about that last. <laughs> we should have put him in show. at guard, center, see how he looked. No, but Jaron Reed. This is how I think about it. You know, Jaron Reed. We sign him off the streets, late stage free agent signing, and he he plays good. I thought he I thought he played I thought he had a good year in Green Bay, and I thought he was better than Dean Lowry, and so. How many more Jaron Reeds are there, you know, in May? You know, in August, on or on cut-down day, during training camp? I You can find Jaron Reed types. So that's how I would be attacking this defensive line, because I like the I like the three. I like the trio here. Jaron Reed, who's also a free agent, you know, we're just talking about the unit as a whole. So Jaron Reed is a free agent. I would like to see him back in Green Bay. I think he earned um, another year, a multi-year deal, whatever they do with that. I don't think they're going to give him the same deal that they gave, you know. Like, they rewarded Devondre Campbell and Rasul Douglas last year, who were similarly signed off the street. I don't think Jaron Reed is going to, you know, demand that kind of contract. I think Jaron gets another year. I think he gets another year, Griff, really. And I'm okay with that. That's what I would do, too. Right. I don't know if he's going to get anything more than he even got last year. Two million-ish, right? But I don't think any other team is going to go out to give him anything more than what Green Bay will give him. And plus, I think he truly, uh, to be honest with you, I think he wants to stay and he felt like he's made a home here a little bit. And and in one year, I think he's seen the love and and he's also given us some good football. Not special, not great, but he came on towards the end and he had that big force fumble in the Miami game. And I think he could be valuable because he's played with big teams like the Chiefs before and he's played with Seattle. So he's played some Super Bowl caliber football in the playoffs and things like that. So I like him with this group and I think he could be that third, fourth guy for us. 
add another guy to the rotation. Devontae is going to continue to progress and become more of a focal point on the line. I do like the group. Um, so Jaron, for me, is a guy I think we should keep. I agree. I went to see him back in Green Bay. And I was saying, I like the trio of Jaron Reed, Kenny Clark, Devontae Wyatt, with TJ Slayton behind that. You know, I like that. I like yeah. that group. They need more, obviously, because four guys on your defensive line is just not enough. So I think they can find more Jaron Reed types. Late-stage free agents, veterans, older guys who I'd have like another consistently yeah. been average, above average, like Jaron Reed. And I think they can find guys like that for cheap. Um, or they could attack it in the draft. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even want to talk about the draft yet, but we are going to get into the draft pretty soon here once we're done with this season review stuff. But I, they need to do more on the defensive line because they just don't have enough bodies right now. But the top three, Jaron Reed, Kenny Clark, Devontae Wyatt, I like that. And even if Jaron Reed walks, so let's say a team wants to give Jaron Reed $5 million. TJ Slayton as a starter, I think you can get worse than that. I, I think that's okay. I, I wouldn't love that, TJ Slayton being our base starter, on the defensive line, but uh, I think there are certainly teams who are worse off than that on the D-line. Jonathan Ford, I don't think either of us have too much to say on Jonathan Ford, seventh-round pick, but um, yeah, I think they need more bodies, but I like the group. I like the group. You know, they draft Devontae Wyatt last year, hardly plays his rookie season, but you got to think he's going to be ready to show out this upcoming season. Kenny Clark, we know, is great, so I like that group. With Kenny leading it, Griff, I agree. I, I just think he has that superstar caliber quality to him and he's going to be one of our leaders moving forward as he has been and I I, I would like to see him step up a little bit just to play a little better every year because he's still not an old player he's 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 on his only his second deal and he's getting better every year I, I would love to see him continue to grow and I think the only way you could do that is to kind of get a guy like a developing Devontae Wyatt next to him to open some things up and I look forward to the possibility of that, or if they make some kind of veteran addition that would help him as well. So excited about that group, uh, just the development of Wyatt and, and the depth. I do Like you said, TJ is a good player for us as a depth piece. I do like that group, and, and I'm looking forward to see what they do and how those guys develop. Dean Lowry being the starter next to Kenny Clark for so many years now, I'm telling you, it is. it has taken sacks off of Kenny Clark's career. It's taken sacks off his resume. It's taken all and pros years off, off his resume. my life. Years off my life as well, because Dean Lowry, it's so easy just to block Dean Lowry one-on-one and commit two or maybe even three guys to to uh, Kenny Clark. In the run game, it happens very often because that's how it's been forever, right, on the D-line. Kenny Clark and just about nobody else. But Devontae Wyatt showed a lot of promising signs in his rookie year. Excited for him. Edge rusher now. Let's switch to edge rusher. Um, I don't know how I feel about this group. It depends on how you feel about Preston Smith, really. You know, Preston Smith is a guy, he's consistently putting together good years, but he's not a guy you really think of in the top tier, even the top two or three tiers of elite edge rushers, you know. He's not that guy, but he consistently puts together good productive years. I really do like Preston, but Rashawn Gary being there makes it a lot easier. Just like Zadarius Smith when he was there makes it a lot easier. They could use more depth, but I love Rashawn, and when he comes back, it's going to be a good duo. Preston does a lot of great things in the running game. He's one of the... Griff, when you talk about elite, is he elite from a pass-rushing standpoint? Probably not at this point in his career, but he is elite from a run-stopping standpoint, and he takes up a lot of space and does a lot no, of things he's so well. He, he's, he's Everyone always good. says this about Preston, but he is seriously one of the best run-defending edge rushers in the league. His length, it's the way he sets the edge, the way yeah. he controls blocks, he is so good. 
it's clear when you're watching the game, and he's making about one of those a game, one of those big run stops. He's doing at least one a game, and that's important, and it's valuable. Plus, he had a good sack year as well. This, to me, he is about as good as you can get as a number two uh, edge guy, unless you have two superstars like some other teams have. I really do like him, and they paid him, and he deserved it. So excited about Preston continuing to be on this football team, and uh, I look at what Rashawn can do when he comes back, he'll get even better, I think. Despite the ACL tear, I just think he's in a position to keep improving. And then Justin Hollins is a guy, I know we haven't addressed all of them yet, but I would like to see Justin back. He is a free agent. They actually picked him up off waivers from the Rams, and he's a player that I thought did some really nice things. Um, When you look at Kingsley and Igbare, he was there as a rookie, but Justin came in as that really good number four for us and and had an impact, very positive impact as well. I think he had a sack in his first game in Green Bay and continued to be a guy who could rush the quarterback, so I'm excited about him possibly coming back. Kingsley, his development is going to be big, but if we have those four guys... You either draft another guy or add a veteran. I'd prefer a veteran, um, as we all do as, when we're trying to compete for Super Bowls. But I, I'd like to see a, one more guy there, and then you've got five guys you really are excited about with a few others that could be in the mix trying to make the roster as a sixth potentially. But I do like the five guys that we'll have there if we can add one more solid veteran to the group. Once Rashawn Gary went down last year, Week 9, it really the defense, the pass rush, it was never the same. Because Preston Smith, I think he's a good, he's at his best, you know, a lot of his sacks are cleanup sacks. He's a good cleanup guy, especially when you've got Rashawn Gary on the other side, rushing around the tackle, making the quarterback step up in the pocket, and then Preston's going to use his length, get by the tackle or the guard in front of him, and clean up for the sack, you know? That's what Preston's so good at. But when Rashawn's not get, when Rashawn's not there, and it's Kingsley Anikbare, who, yeah, he showed flashes, but he's you don't want him starting in his rookie year, fifth-round pick. He was clearly not a starting NFL edge rusher. And Preston Smith, I think his production takes a hit there too because he's he's pretty much the only threat other than Kenny Clark who's double teamed all the time. Preston Smith is the only threat to get to the quarterback and he's not going to do that very often without any help. And so then you get situations where our defense, the quarterback has all day in the pocket and they're running play action uh, they're running a play action shot play and the quarterback has nine seconds in the pocket to wind up and throw a bomb because the coverage breaks down after nine seconds naturally the the pass rush was really a problem especially as the year went on and Justin Hollins yeah showed some good things but I still don't love him as my number four edge rusher I don't like that I don't like that at all actually because it's such a weird position edge rusher because these guys are rotating in and out very often you know, no, on the defensive point. line too, they're rotating in and out constantly. Your three and four are going to get a lot more playing time than your three and four tackler, your three and four receiver even. So Justin Hollins, I don't love him being on the field um, as often as he was at the end of last year. Jonathan Garvin, we both, I'm sure, think the same of Jonathan Garvin. Yes, Seventh round pick. So wait, what do you suggest they do? Well, this is a position I think they could attack in the draft high again. Oh, you know, we're always, I know, we're always not another defender defense, in the first round. Gosh, we can't do this, Chris. Justin Hollins, I don't want him as my number four. I really That's don't. Fair, not in the first round. Not in the first round. If they draft no. an edge in the first round, which they no. might, but I'm, I'm talking a, a day two pick, you know, which Is could be enough? enough as a number four. I, that's a well. That, I mean, but I prefer a veteran, and I like. I want him back. I want Hollins back. If you can add a better player, sure. But you're asking. We're asking them to do a lot here, Griff. I think 
when you have yeah we are we're I mean, we're acting we're like the salary add... cap is turned off here you know the, yeah. they have are they do not have a lot of money the packers do not so no. so like when you're Justin Hollins you're going to have to take a hit somewhere on this roster. Justin Hollins could be your number four edge rusher, and that's not the worst possible flaw to have on your team. But um, if we're talking about idealizing the roster, I, I would like to get better from that. But it might not be realistic, you know? Like I said, yeah, we are asking them to do a lot because we need a top receiver, right? Like these, are, We're asking them to do that. We need a, we need a better safety. We, we could use another D tackle we're talking about like there's a lot I don't know how many moves they can make that would be significant enough to make us happy right we can't have we never end up with the perfect roster we always talk about they could do this or that and it would make it as perfect as we could get but they never end up doing all those things so when I look at this group of of the edge rushers I like where they're at because they're close and you know you have to accept that Kingsley is going to be the three probably because of what he showed this year when he came in for Gary, but they need more because we don't know how long Rashawn's going to be out, and they also don't, like you said, we talked about Justin Hollins is a free agent, so if they don't agree to terms with him, they're going to have to add multiple guys, and we're talking about two or three, maybe four to the position, so it gets complicated, but um, to me, I, I like the base of guys they have, and if they were to go bring back Justin and maybe add a veteran or draft another guy a little bit, like second or third round, I'm not mad at these situations. I think they're going to be comfortable at the edge position regardless. So I, I'm not too worried about it, is my point at least. The two starters, Preston Smith and Rashawn, I feel good about that. Uh, going to the inside linebacker position, Devondre Campbell, let's start with him. Um, coming off of a little bit of a disappointing season, but I still think he's a great player. And a lot of people, it's hard to judge linebacker play because it's hard to play linebacker in the NFL. But Devondre, as a leader, you see him coordinating the defense that is just all over the place. And I don't think it's an indictment on him that the defense is so out of position all the time. I think that's more of a Joe Barry problem. But watching Devondre Campbell coordinate, he's got the green dot helmet on. He is a great leader. I love him as a person. I love his size, watching him in the middle of the field. And I still think he missed more tackles this season than you would want him to. But a lot of those came early in the season. He was not missing very many tackles as the year went on. Because you remember the, the beginning of the season, Braun, every single week, I was on here talking, Devondre missed two more tackles this week, back in week four. Like, wow, he's already missed more tackles this year than he did all of last season. But that was a storyline that kind of faded away because he stopped missing tackles. And he kind of turned back into that ultra-reliable tackler. And uh, he, he said on Twitter a couple weeks ago that he was playing through injuries this year. And so I'm, it's not like he fell off a cliff, you know. I still think he is a good player, and I think he could return to all-pro form. I actually, I don't know about all pro, but I, I truly do think he's going to be very, very good next year. And part of that to me is another guy, we'll talk about Quay. I'm sure we'll speak about him a little bit. But he that duo, the Quay Walker and Devondre Campbell duo, I think has the potential to be one of the top linebacker groups in football off the ball. That excites me. That duo really, really excites to me. To get them on the field at the same time for a full season, hopefully, right? Devondre was dealing with injuries. That was clear. He missed games. And Quay, Quay so was to have, dealing with ejections. <laughs> <laughs> to have them both on the field at the same time, I think, is going to be big for this team's success and this defense's success. I think there's going to be an uptick in play for Devondre and Quay, largely because they'll be next to each other, and I think Quay is going to continue to progress and develop in a big way. We saw flashes from him. So this duo is maybe the most exciting part of our entire football team next year, in my opinion. 
Yeah, I'm praying Quay becomes a good enough player where people forget about the ejections because it is weird how every single NFL fan now knows his name simply because he was ejected on uh, ejected on national TV twice this season. Um, but I'm hoping he becomes good enough where people forget about that because he did show a lot of promise in his rookie season. And those two starting inside linebackers, there's no question marks on either of them. They're going to be here next year. They extended Devondre Campbell last offseason. They drafted Quay Walker with their first pick in last year's draft. This is their linebacker duo for years to come. And I'm excited about that. I really am. Beyond that, though, Isaiah McDuffie, not a guy you love, sixth-round pick. Chris Barnes, I actually love that he is a depth piece. I, I really do love that Whoa. because he was a starter for us for a really long time, and now he comes in when when Devondre Campbell gets hurt in the Buffalo game. Chris Barnes comes in, and it's a drop-off, but this was our starter only two years ago, you know? So the drop-off isn't that bad, and I think he's a reliable tackler. I think he's a really good tackler, actually. And uh, I like him as a depth piece. McDuffie, I don't love. Eric Wilson quietly had a really nice year on special teams, but he is a free agent, so not much. I don't think he got many snaps at inside linebacker either. So not much to comment on Eric Wilson, who we picked up in the middle of the season from the New Orleans practice squad. But the other guys, Devondre Campbell, Quay Walker, Chris Barnes, and Isaiah McDuffie. As your four inside linebackers, I, I don't know. This is a position that I don't have too many complaints on. All right, I'm going to jump in here, Griff. To be honest with you, I actually think Eric Wilson is one of those guys they're going to want to bring back. He was the highest-graded special teams player in football last year on PFF, and he played good. I thought he played pretty well. Well, Not you know I hate piece. PFF. Yeah, you hate them. You don't work for them or anything. But uh, I will I will say, with McDuffie, he came in and played I remember he came in in the Lions game when Quay went out and made a tackle on the first play. I, I mean, he's going to be there. And I do remember that. That's right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and I don't think – I think I'm more intrigued by McDuffie than I am by Chris Barnes, who, yes, he started for us for some years, but, I, I mean, he'll be here, I think, right? He's Is he on our team? Uh, or is he a free Yeah, he's, he's on our team next year. So, I mean, I guess he's going to be here and, and – Maybe, you know, having him as a three, it's not bad because of the starting experience, and he even wore the dot at times as well with the headset and whatnot. So I think uh, the possibility of him being our three or four with McDuffie there and Wilson on special teams, I like, I, that's a group I would say, you don't need anything. You need nothing in that spot because they've got everything they need. Moving on to the back end, cornerback position. Now this starting three... I do really like Jair Alexander, Eric Stokes, who's going to be coming back from an injury, and then Rasul Douglas. I like that trio still. You know, Eric Stokes didn't have a great season before he got hurt this year. When did he get hurt even? I can't remember. It was the Week 9 game, right? The Lions game? I think him and Rashawn got hurt the same exact week. But um, that felt he like wasn't the having end of our season, and then we came back. Obviously, no, that, that really did feel like the end. It didn't and if feel we had like them, it mattered that much for our chances when those two guys got hurt. But then it ended up being a big thing at the end. We were thinking like, wow, wouldn't it be nice to have Rashawn Gary in this big game or Eric Stokes in this big game? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, but Eric Stokes, you know, he wasn't having a great season. But I still, I, I like him as your starting cornerback because he's a first-round pick. He had a great rookie season, showed a lot of potential. He struggled early on, but I think it's hard to play cornerback. I think it's hard to be great for 17 weeks, you know. Like Jair Alexander had some bad games this year. I think we just saw a couple more bad games than we would have liked to see from Eric Stokes, but I think he's going to be able to bounce back, and I, I do like his talent. Well, I don't know if it really matters how I feel about Eric Stokes in particular, but I do like him. But again, this is what they're going with. Stokes is their guy. They drafted him. They're not going to look to add another starter at this position. Just like linebacker, just like some of these other spots that we're talking about on this defense, 
they don't need, and they've already invested money into their starters, and those are the guys. So Jair, Stokes, and Rasul have been on long-term contracts now, and they will be the three guys. The differences in that room will be the depth, if there are any. And one guy that I'm sure will be back and played well on defense first before he had his big stardom in the return game is Keyshawn Nixon, who I think can play a significant part on defense in addition to what he does for us on special teams. He is a free agent. Pay him the big bucks, right? But he's the guy that you need. <laughs> and and I like him at any slot corner spot for us. I like him for sure. And then we we look at the other guys in that room. Not a ton to talk about. Shamar John Charles, I don't love that, but he's our corner five, right? And then that's pretty that's pretty ugly. So they could use another depth. He's piece a fifth for round sure. pick who we've gotten nothing on so far. Um so they could be looking to play him a little bit more, but you'd think that once Stokes went down this year they'd they would have wanted to get him on the field more than he was on the field. He was hardly on the field all year. And Keyshawn, once he started returning kicks, he really didn't play much cornerback anymore he stopped playing cornerback you know he was injured by the time the year was wrapping up but he was not playing a whole lot of defense for us we were running a lot of big nickel with Amos Darnell we're going to talk about both of those guys in a minute here but and Rudy Ford we were playing a lot of Darnell in the slot and why don't we switch there because we didn't mention Jair Alexander obviously he's one of the best corners in the league he's going to be the starter and I have no concerns about you know whether they regret paying him the bag last offseason or not. I don't think anyone's concerned about that because he's a great player and you love him. But let's switch to the safety position because that is the, uh, I would say, the biggest position of need this offseason because Darnell Savage is going into the final year of his contract. Um, they picked up the fifth the fifth year option on that last offseason. I don't know if they regret that or not, but he played well as the season went on. After getting benched for Rudy Ford, he had a, he had a really crazy year, but he was playing a lot of slot corner by the end of the year. And I like him in that spot. I, you know, we always talk about how we like him closer to the line of scrimmage. He's not perfect. He's never going to be an Errol Thomas type, which is what we always wanted him to be. He's never going to be that rangy elite safety, you know? But I think that you can cover up his warts better when he is playing in the slot rather than when he is playing, you know, the deep hash covering half of the field because he gets lost a lot in coverage. Yeah, when you look at this roster and, and guys that on this defensive side specifically, when you're talking about guys that Green Bay could possibly look to trade, Darnell's cap hit and the way that things are looking after they picked up this option, if there was a team out there that wanted Darnell and Green Bay was trying to offload him for some cap space and they felt like that was the right move, they could probably do that um, just for the sake of the cap space. And and you talk about the fact that maybe they don't have plans to re-sign him or want to improve, don't feel like he can be the the guy in in the safety room for us. Maybe that's a move they'd make if somebody would be willing to take him on on that contract, a team that has a little more cap space than others. Uh, He is a first-round pick, after all, and has athletic ability. And we saw what he could do, like you talked about. In that last game, Griff, he made significant plays in the running game, in the passing game. He was good. He was flying all over the field. And it was funny how that worked because this is what we were talking about, how good he could be at times. And he has shown that in the past. But then he gets in these spots where he's scared – He's afraid to take angles. He's taking the bad angles. He does. He just looks passive at times, and he's not flying around with instinct. And he's on the field thinking and trying to play football at the same time. It's just when he's not thinking too hard, he flies and makes big plays for us. So I think if he can get in his own where he plays like he did in Detroit, uh, that's what we want from him. But they have to f- consider what the odds are of him doing that again and if, if they can afford to have him be the starter next to Amos 
or whoever it would be going into this season. That could be a strategy for the Packers is just to build the safety position from the ground up because we're about to talk about Adrian Amos here. Darnell, the players at safety currently under contract, you've got Darnell Savage, who's on the last year of his deal, Tariq Carpenter, who's going into his second year, seventh-round pick, and Vernon Scott, who was injured all of this season. Some people don't even think he's on the team, but everywhere I look, he is he is a member of this roster, as far as I know. Um, but those are your three safeties. And so trading Darnell, which is a very real possibility, you never know what you could get for that. Former first-round pick, tons of athleticism. You know, there could be a team who's willing to trade a fourth, maybe even a third-round pick for Darnell Savage, you know? That seems like that could a happen. lot. For a guy that got benched, I mean, I don't know. Again, it's one of those things where Green Bay happen. would have a tough time. It could, I guess. It would, it would, it would have to take a pure idiot, but Green Bay, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think just having a player that got benched, nobody's going to value him as much as Green Bay does because they did get a first-round pick for him. And Brian would look like an idiot once again for like the eighth time this week if he were to make a move of that caliber <laughs> um, where he's trading a first-round pick for a third-round pick in his fifth year where they gave him yeah, the fifth-year option. I mean, how stupid could you look yeah, when that, you give a guy the fifth-year option foolish. and trade him? He That's admitting foolish, that yeah. he made a mistake, and GMs don't really like admitting that they make mistakes. Um, but it, it could be – it's a possibility just to rebuild the position from the ground up. Ron, before we pressed record, we were talking about the 2018 offseason when the defensive secondary was so, so bad and they needed so much talent on that end of the ball. And Demarius Randall at the time was one of the one guys we had who we thought was okay. You know, he was one of the one guys we had who we – didn't feel too bad about him starting for us. And we go out and we trade him for Deshaun Kaiser that offseason. They could attack the safety position at burn it all down. Amos is a free agent. Yeah, he's got the void years and whatnot. But let him go. Darnell, we're going to trade him. And we're going to bring in guys. We're going to sign cheap options. Because there are a lot of players on the market in March who the Packers could be looking at. And if I was to build this team, Bron, once we're done with all this review stuff, once the season wrapped up is wrapped up and we're you know gearing up towards free agency and the draft, I do think we're going to do a podcast talking about how the Packers can win a Super Bowl, which is going to be laying out you know the entire team-building plan for this offseason, what we would do. And what I would do is I would build this secondary, the safety position uh, specifically, with guys who have done it before veterans who are ascending i think in the 2019 offseason we had a similar philosophy at edge rusher because that position was so bad at the time we cut nick perry we bring in zadarius smith and preston smith and we draft for sean gary i think we need to do that to the safety position but obviously we don't have that money this year so i think we need to do that at a more towards the average end of the spectrum of that i think we need to be looking at guys like ryan neal in seattle who i think would be a great you know, option for Green Bay. He's a, he started a lot of games for Seattle this season. He had the best year of his career. Spotrack has him projected at a $2.4 million salary for the upcoming season. He's a free agent. I think that is the type of player that they could go after. Jabril, Jabril Peppers, also a free agent. You know, these are the guys that I'd be looking at. Guys who have played in the league before. Guys who are probably ascending, just like Zedarius was, just like Preston was. Guys who have, who have put together average to above average seasons in their career and you can get them for cheap. You know, I'm not talking about Jesse Bates. You're not going to be able to afford Jesse Bates or any of the high-end safeties. But I think I would be looking at the mid to lower tier free agents and bringing in just a bunch of those guys because I think the secondary, it's a weak link, you know, unit. You're only as good as the worst player in your secondary, and I think if you're above average at every spot, you're going to be okay. It is funny how we've 
this is kind of the best for last in terms of the... This is one of the more murky positions because it could be we have Darnell and Amos again and Rudy Ford back, or we could have none of those guys because their futures are all up in the air, mostly, I would say, right? So let's talk about Amos. You mentioned him a little bit. He's one of the bigger name guys, if not the biggest name guy on our team that could be in limbo. His situation is he's got these... He's got these prorated bonuses for these void years up until 2026, and 2.2 million for the next three years, and 1.17 million in that 2026 year. So the void years, everybody's very confused by them. Nobody, even me and Griff, we don't really have a great idea because unless you're in the front office executing these very, these are new, relatively new to a lot of guys. Brian just started using them probably about a year or two ago, right? So last year was really these, the first year that he started giving them out to everybody. Mercedes right. is under void years, I think. Yeah, a lot of these guys are. Randall has money. A lot of these smaller ticket guys have void years attached to their contracts, which is it's a thing that we just started doing last offseason. So when you look at Adrian Amos, I feel like the void years, from what I understand, these void years only hurt you as an organization when your player isn't there. I think they hurt you a lot more if the guy doesn't come back. So if you bring back Adrian Amos, I think right. that it's going to eliminate some of these issues with the cap number and things like that. Paying him, you're you're almost paying him to not play, but if you come and bring him Be- back, because at what's a happening here number, is you said that he has bonuses that are prorated up until 2026. That is just on the cap. All of that money you said he's got what two point something million dollars next year right. and the year after that in 2026. All of that money has already been given to Adrian up front as a signing bonus. It is only in terms of the cap that it is spread out like that. So if we were to let Adrian Amos walk this offseason, say he goes to a new team, all of that money that we already paid him, it, it fast forwards to this year's cap hit. So it all becomes what a $7.9 million cap hit, whatever it is for him um, on the books this season. If he walks, all of that gets accelerated onto this year. So that it is only the moment when he is not on the team anymore that all of those prorated bonuses fast forward to this year's cap hit, you know? So if he continues to be on the team through 2026, then it's going to be a $2 million cap hit next year and a $2 million cap hit the year after that and a $1.7 the year after that, you know, plus whatever extension we give him because he's not going to play for just that money. You know, he already has that money. He's, he needs more. Uh, he needs a salary. So he's going to need an extension. But if we do extend him, there is a chance where it turns into more than a $7.9 million cap hit. So the, the front office, depending on what he wants, depending on what he thinks he could get on the open market, depending on what other teams offer him, it's a question mark. Because would you be willing to move on from Adrian Amos, take the $7.9 million cap hit, if it means that you don't have to pay him $11 million this year? Because he could easily he, make that. I mean, there, here's my thoughts. I don't think he's going to get that. Uh, even though that I is, don't think he will. I don't. I, he got that when we signed him, and he was young. He was coming off his rookie deal. I think he's he's going to be 30 in the next 100 days or so, right? But think, so, Ron. But think, think, think about the, the Jaguars last up. year. The think about up. us in 2019. Think about us in 2019. We were a bad team with nothing but nothing but we were swimming in cap space. We were in a position where we could overpay for guys like Preston Smith and Billy Turner. There is going to be a team this year like the Colts who just have so much money they don't know what to do with themselves, who looks at Adrian Amos, a veteran who has played well throughout his career. I they don't need think safety he played help. well enough last they year could... to get that kind of money, Griff. I'm going to be honest right, with you. Right, but but he when you're looking at free agents, he is at the top of the list. He's probably 
probably a top 15, top 10 borderline free agent who's well, going to be available this for, March. For re- I, I'm going to tell you this also. For reference, when you I looked at this ESPN, uh, obviously take that with a grain of salt as soon as you say those letters. But uh, <laughs> when I looked at this top 50 free agents list, and it had zero Green Bay Packers on it. Zero. Adrian wasn't on it. Top, Allen wasn't wait, on it. What did you just say? Top 50? Top 50. 50 5-0. None. That Zero Green Ridiculous. Bay Packers. Adrian now, Amos is in a top 50 free agent? That's ridiculous. No, he didn't play. That's probably true, right? And Allen. No, he's coming off of his worst season, but he's still a starting caliber safety. Look, I He's like still him a back. reliable tackler and a guy that I don't mind being a starter for me. He has gotten slower than Griff. We've noticed this, and I know you noticed this. He's slower no, yeah, than he course, once was. Of course. So I just don't think he's as good of a player. He's on a descending track here. But I thought he played well in Detroit game as well. So there's positives and negatives to this whole thing. Extending him is a situation where they're going to be paying him less than they like. We talked about they could. They did this with Kevin King for all of all people. So I think he's going to be back. They did it with Kevin King. Unless a team is going to pay him upwards of ten million dollars, all they have to do is give him a deal worth whatever seven million. Have his cap hit be low. They have an end up. It ends up being a maybe a minimum cap hit. Maybe they tag more money into the void years, whatever. But add on six more void years. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what they're going to the do. Right but, solution. But they certainly could have him back at less than the seven million that he's going to count if he doesn't come back. And it just makes more sense for the organization to bring a player of his caliber back and have to spend and, and probably save a little money doing it. I think that's that's going to be the move they make. It gets complicated when you talk about the numbers of the deal. I'm sure he wants to be here, and he has a great relationship with guys like Aaron, and he's looked at, you know, when they when, when they send out guys after games to talk in, in front of the media, when they used to do it at least, even when you go up to the podium after a win, they were sending Amos out there consistently. I think they view him as a big-time leader for this defense, and he's played it. He's played all the games, you know, for the majority of his tenure. He's played the most snaps in every season of his career in Green Bay of all the guys on our defense. So I, I do think he, sh- he will be and should be back. I don't think he's going to get the money you're talking about, Griff, and they're going to be able to put his cap number low enough where he might have a cap hit of, when you talk about adding the 2.2 whatever million, probably ends up being close to $5 million when you put his like probably around $2 million cap hit with the 2.2 he's at now. And then they'll give him the bonuses and whatnot that'll be non-cap related, maybe some uh, incentives as well in the deal. And you're looking at a, a deal that f- helps Green Bay a little, make a tiny bit of cap room, but it also keeps Adrian Amos around. So this is a no-brainer to me if they can get the money done. I like that. You know, I obviously I think Adrian took a big step back this year, but I used to like him in the locker room. I think he's one of those guys like Devondre, you know, like like Keyshawn, like Aaron always talks about. One of those guys that you just want in your locker room, that you just want to win a Super Bowl with because they're great leaders, they're great people, they're just that alpha, you know. I think Adrian is one of those guys. But if they're able to figure out a way to bring him back and lower the cap hit from $7.9 million, which it is with the void years, he's it's so strange that we're in the era of the void years because this guy is literally a free agent, but he also carries a $7.9 million cap hit if we don't re-sign him. If we are able to re-sign him and lower that cap hit a little bit, then it could make sense. But I do see, I see a world where he has a big open market and he's got a lot of teams who are uh, you know, willing to pay him money starting safety money, and it could get pretty expensive from there. Well, Spotrack does have him listed with a $6.8 million evaluation per year in terms of his market value projection. So that's what, a, I mean, that's that's probably less, I think that's a little little bit less than he probably will get, but that's about 
what you're going to pay a 30-year-old. You know what I mean? I don't know. At the safety position, who is coming off a down year, looks slower, played some not his best ball. That's what I'm thinking about, Griff. I don't know about – a lot of the times you're paying these guys for what they're going to be, not what they've been. And I just don't know if he's going to get that same money. I do think he can be a starter for us in Green Bay, but this is where it gets complicated, right? And then we've got other guys to talk about too, but uh, is Adrian going to be back? That's probably one of the biggest question marks of the offseason. You remember 2020? Like, he was a great safety, and if we get him closer to the line of scrimmage, just like Darnell, you know, for different reasons, but if we get him closer to the line of scrimmage, let him play the run because he fits the run so well. He's actually willing to get his nose dirty in the run game, which is rare for a safety, you know. But um, he is he's so great at filling gaps, and he knows what the offense is going to do. It seems like every single play, you know. It's just his worst moments are when he's out in space covering Justin Jefferson, which, you know, you could talk about Joe Barry being at fault for that. So we talked about just about every single player on this defense. Who did I not mention? I'm looking at the roster right now. I did not mention Corey Ballantyne, cornerback. Thoughts on Corey? Yeah, he'll compete at the bottom of the roster. He's a special teams guy, just like all these guys that you almost forget to mention. They're they're guys that will compete with that 90-man in in training camp and see where they end up. Rudy Ford is another guy who played pretty well, right? Like, he he came in and had his moments for us, had a couple picks, big-time plays. I'd like to see him back, but I don't know what he's going to cost. Probably not anything crazy, right? But the reality, too, is that he could be of value to us. So I think there is a scenario where we get involved trying to get him in the picture again. Um, I like him as a player. I like what he he wants to be here. He's excited about being a Packer, I think. And um, so those that's another guy I think they're going to prioritize. Dallin Levitt, safety, another guy who you don't want to see him out there on defense, but he's a special teamer. He can play, right? So those are guys that Rich Bisaccia loves, you know, because Rudy was playing special teams a little bit even. These guys get involved, and they like to do it. And, and I do like our secondary, especially the depth. Those guys I like. Dallin is a terrible defender, but he's great on special teams. These guys <laughs> have their roles. These guys do have their roles, and they play them well. So I like the secondary. I'd like to keep it largely together. Our main problems were not with the talent on this defense. And I say this about almost every position. The talent's not the issue. It's, it's the way that we played, and they need to find the happy And it's not medium. the resources either. It's not the resources that we've used to acquire the talent either. That's not the problem. We have not ignored any position on the defense. You cannot blame Goody for ignoring any of these positions. He has all, all but ignored them. Right, so now it's about keeping these guys together and then seeing what they need to do to change and fix this group of defenders because it's important. Rasul we didn't talk about too much either, but Rasul is a guy who we both love. Um, I think Rasul is a starter in this league, and I think he had a good season. I mean, a lot of people are disappointed in the season that he had, but I think that people's standards for cornerback play is just too high. I think everyone is expecting a Durrell Revis season from every single cornerback in the league, and when they give up touchdowns, it's like, oh, this guy stinks, he's fallen off. But cornerbacks give up touchdowns because offense usually wins. You know, that's just the nature of today's league. Um, so cornerbacks are going to give up touchdowns. Rasul gave up his fair share of touchdowns and big plays this season. But down in and down out, I still like him as a starter. Um, and him, Stokes, and Jair, I think, has the potential to be one of the better starting cornerback trios in the NFL. And with that, I think we are going to wrap it up here. We went a little bit longer than I thought we were going to. We talked about a lot today, man. It was a good show. You know, we always get to the end of these shows, especially like where we have multiple segments like this, and I cannot remember what we talked about. Do you remember what we talked about at the top of this show? Because I don't. But it, I think it was a good show. If you liked it, you can 
leave us a review on uh, iTunes, rate us five stars on iTunes and Spotify, or wherever you are listening. You can follow the show on Instagram at Today in Titletown. You can follow me on Instagram at All Day Packers. Braun is on Instagram at Lambo.Leapers. And that is everything. Thank you so much. Oh, send us an email and leave us a voicemail, by the way. We haven't done that in a couple weeks. You can leave us a voicemail by calling the number 920-430-0711. If anything we said today you disagree with or agree with or you just want to tell us that we're so smart and we're right about everything, you can call that number, leave a voicemail, and there's a chance you could get played on the show. Or if you'd rather email us, you can email us at todayintitletown uh, at gmail.com for the same reason as if you want to tell us that we're stupid or if you want to tell us that you love the show and we're really smart. You can do either of those things by either calling that number or emailing us, and there's a chance you will get on the show. We have some emails that I keep meaning to go through, and we get to the end of these shows every single week, and I forget, but there are like two emails in the inbox right now. I read all the emails. Don't worry. Everyone who's emailed, I have read them, and I'm sorry. We haven't had like a Packers Therapy episode recently where we've gone through all your fan questions and voicemails and whatnot, but... I am getting these emails and I'm reading them and there are multiple right now that I keep meaning to read on the show, but I just keep forgetting. So bear with me on that, but continue to send us the emails because eventually we're going to get to a point where we don't have enough to talk about and we're going to be able to go through the mailbag and that's going to be fun. So keep sending those emails, keep calling us and uh, leaving voicemails and that is everything now. So thank you so much for listening. We will be back soon. Go Pack Go. Thank you for listening everybody forever and always. Go Pack Go. (laughs) 